over the history of the Palestinian struggle. Um, we're going to do it in a little bit of an interactive way. You guys all hear the echo, right? It's annoying. It's not only me. Okay, we need to get rid of the echo. <laughs> Okay, yep, no echo. I also speak quickly, so the echo doesn't help. Um, okay, so the point um, of today's, inshallah, today's um, lecture is to go over the history. Um, we're going to do it in a little bit of an interactive way because I feel like with history, the best way to do it is if we have conversation um, and we discuss things a little bit more amongst ourselves to really internalize it. Uh, so I do ask that you try to get into groups when we can and have these discussions, inshallah. Um, and also, can I get a time check? Till when do I have? Ish? Nine, okay. So inshallah, we'll try to get through this quickly. Okay, so first off, and we can do this, just shout out. So what are the first words that come to mind when you think of Palestine? Resistance. What else? You had your hand raised? Yeah. Death. Yeah, unfortunately. What else? Someone from what is it? Pain, resistance, death, pain. What else? Freedom. These are some yes. Perseverance. Yeah. Yes. Faithful. Yeah. And um, it, I think it's especially difficult um, time right now because after uh, I think a few days tra truce, we are back to bombing today which is really heartbreaking, and I think that's why this is really timely, so that we can continue to understand why is this happening and what is the bigger mission that's happening in here. So to, before we get into Palestine, we have to talk a little bit about the ideas of equality and equity. Um, I don't think this side sees the slide. Do you guys see the slides? Yes? Okay. So what is the difference between equality and equity? I told you this is going to be interactive. What does equality mean and what does equity mean? And you can use the pictures because it kind of explains it. What is it? Mm -hmm. So what's the difference between the two pictures? Does this side see the pictures? Yes, okay. No? I don't know what to do. This moves with me. Okay. Uh, this is big and heavy. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So, what is the difference between? Um, so, what are the difference between the two boxes here and on the other side? I think it's on break. Let's say the brakes are on. No. Okay. Anyone on this side? What's the difference between the two pictures? Does everyone see it now? So what's the difference between the two pictures? Now you can't see me. It's okay. Yeah, so equality is everyone's getting the same thing, right? Despite their difference in heights, despite the reality that they can't see anything. But then equity, what's the difference in equity? Every, everyone gets what they need, right? So you have the shorter person... Um, getting what they, what they need and the, older, the taller person not getting any boxes. So it's not equal, but it's equitable because everyone's getting what they need. 
Um, and if you think about it in terms of parents, right, when you say, I don't treat my children equally because you can't give each child the same thing, you need, to give them, you need to treat them equitably, where each person gets what they need, right? So this is a very important concept when you're talking about anything with social justice because you want to understand the idea that we're not looking for equality, we're looking for equity, which means every person gets what they need. Now, what's happening in reality? What does this picture show? What's happening in reality? There's a fence, but if you see down here, yes, so you have reality, which the tall guy gets everything, and then the, sh the shorter person, what are they getting? Not only nothing, they're below the ground, right? So this makes you think about, right now, what's happening in this world, right? We're trying to, people say equality, which honestly is not fair. They try to, to, trying to aim for equity, but in reality, this is what's happening, right? The person who has the most gets the most, and the person who has the least, least gets the least. Now, what we need to strive for, and this is where we need to kind of think about it long term, is we need to strive towards liberation, right? So what is this picture? What, what are some things you notice about in this picture? No fence, right? So there's no, nothing man-made keeping you from liberation, nothing man-made keeping you from achieving what you want to achieve, right? In addition, no fence, but what else do we not see? No boxes. Because in a world where you don't have a fence, do you need the boxes? No, right? So this is the idea that sometimes, and especially in the world we live in today, where Zionism is very much entrenched in a lot of our things, whether it be media or politics or the way that people generally view the world, our goal is to sometimes change the roles of the game and create a whole new game so that we could achieve this liberation. And the reality is, and we think about it abstractly, what's keeping us from this is these man-made things, right? Man-made obstructions that are keeping us from it. And this shows that liberation is actually achievable, right? We just need to think outside the box. So we'd like to start with this activity to kind of orient all of us and to think more critically about where we are and where we want to be and how these big words are used and what do they actually mean, okay? The next thing is, and this is, we're going to get into small groups and we're going to do it quickly, but we're going to think about the words social justice, liberation, and decolonization. So we're going to think about these words, and if you get into small groups, I'll put a timer, and I want you to think abstractly. So what do they look like, what do they smell like, what do they taste like, and what do they feel like, right? So if you're going to close your eyes and think about social justice, what does that sound like to you? Or what does that feel like to you? Or what does that taste like to you? Liberation, decolonization, what are those things? And if you don't know these terms, talk with your group and see what you think. Okay, can we do this? I know this is not a typical Friday forum, but I like to be interactive, so. Okay, so I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put five minutes on the clock. But you guys actually have to get into groups. Okay. Get into groups, I will force you to get into groups. This is a good way to meet each other, too. Or if you know each other, that's great. You guys, it's a good way to catch up and talk about this. So talk with your groups. What are these words? So social justice, liberation, decolonization. What does it look like, smell like, sound like, and feel like, and taste?
I see you in the corner. I hope you guys are talking about it. There's two minutes left. If you're fully done, you can give me a thumbs up. But I have a feeling you didn't really discuss it if you're fully done. Okay, I feel like people are wrapping up or they're all okay. Okay, I feel like everyone's done, so we're gonna stop. Okay, now I want you guys to share out. So can we share some thoughts? Yeah. I'm Abdullah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Yes. Thank you, Amal. I think you summarized my entire lecture. Thank you. Uh, anyone else want to add anything from this side? So what are our thoughts? And it could be more abstract. So what does it smell like, sound like, taste like? Yes. Yes, that's really beautiful. Thank you. Does anyone else want to share any thoughts? Okay, so this is an important exercise. I hope everybody did do it. This is something important because I remember one of my mentors told me the day we will see Palestine is free is when everybody can see it free, right? So a lot of times it takes us some time when we're like, it's so far off, we can't really imagine it. But the idea is we really need to see it. So sometimes we have to do these exercises so we can understand what that means. And it could be as literal as Amla said and as abstract as you all said. And we do this with kids and we do this with older, um, older people too. And it's always fun to hear what they come up. Sometimes we hear social justice sounds like, or liberation sounds like birds singing, right? Um, social justice tastes like something sweet or yummy, right? So there's a lot of really good ways to do it. And this is a way to kind of familiarize it or bring it into reality. So the next thing we're going to talk about is we're going to start getting into a little bit of the framework, right? So now we understand that what we're trying to get is this idea of social justice, liberation, and decolonization. And one of the main things, like Amos said, to really get to that point is understand what is causing this colonization, right? And it's this idea of Zionism. Um, you hear this a lot where people are saying anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism. What does that mean? So can anyone tell me what is Zionism? And the answer's on the board, so you can cheat. So what's Zionism? Yes. Genocide. Territories. Great job. Perfect wording. So it's a political and nationalist ideology rooted in white supremacy and genocide that supports and sustains the Jewish state of Israel in occupied Palestinian territories, which brings us back to what's happening today, right? A lot of the world are saying, oh, October 7th is what's caused this, and this is just a reaction, when we all know that's not the case, right? And why do we all know that's not the case? Because we understand what Zionism is. And the idea of Zionism is creating a state that is Jewish majority, where, where the Jewish people reign supreme over the non-Jewish people. So we're going to watch this quick short video that explains a little bit more about Zionism. Oh, the sound is not... Hmm. The sound isn't... Okay, the sound isn't working, but... Um, yeah, we don't have that much time. Okay, so we're just... I'm going to do it without the videos. But the idea of Zionism is basically that there is a group of people that are higher than another group of people. Now, this is also something is that there was a Zionist convention that happened in the late 1800s where they actually sat and they discussed this idea of having um, Zionism. And was Zionism always tied to Palestine? No, right? It wasn't. Before, they actually they had this idea of Zionism, um, and it was mainly actually in response to a rise of anti-Semitism. So before World War I, 
There was a rise in anti-Semitism, which means everyone knows what anti-Semitism is, right? Yeah. Okay, so there's a rise in anti-Semitism in Europe, and, and it continued to increase past World I into World War II, where we saw the Holocaust. And as they saw the rise of anti-Semitism, Jewish leaders came together and they created this idea of Zionism, where it's like, let's create this state where we can all be safe together and where it could be a Jewish majority state where we could protect this and combat anti-Zionism, um, anti I mean, anti-Semitism. And what happened actually was in the beginning, a lot of Jewish people were against this idea because religiously, right, they actually don't want to have, a, should not have a tie to the land. So there was a huge pushback from the Jewish community where they didn't want to have this. And they discussed early on, should we go into Africa? Should we go into South America? But then they decided the best place to do it was Palestine because there was this biblical tie. So they could bring the religious community and everyone else would follow. And what happened is they started in 1917. We had the Balfour Declaration where the British mandate gave Palestine to this Jewish project while saying they wanted to protect the sanctity of the indigenous people on the land. Um, and then it continued, and anti-Semitism continued to increase until it happened with the Holocaust. Now, after the Holocaust, there was a huge refugee problem, right? Because now Jews were kicked out of a lot of their homelands and were trying to find a safe place to go. And where did most of the West send them? To Israel. And that's how Israel became um, more legitimized, uh, because in 1948, even here under Harry S. Truman, um, the president at the time, they um, agreed to the UN partition plan, and they were able to recognize Israel. And so since then, like, the rest is history. But this is, it's a very important concept to understand this concept of Zionism. And you'll hear a lot of people that will say Zionism is, is um, Judaism, which is Israel. So if you contradict any of these, right, you're contradicting, you're being anti-Semitic, which is not true, right? A very simple explanation of Zionism versus Judaism can explain that. And one of the, also the things that's very important to note is there's a lot of Jewish people who are against Zionism and that are against what Israel's doing, right? So it's something worth thinking about. Now, one of the main things that happens is the Nekba. So what, um, which is the main things that starts um, a lot of our modern day history of Palestine. Uh, can any, okay, let's, what is the Nekba? It's a catastrophe. What does it symbolize for Palestinians? Exactly. So there was a, dis a huge displacement of Palestinians out of their home. Almost 70%, actually a little bit more than 70% of the people that were living in historic Palestine, which is known as modern-day Israel, were kicked out of their homes. They were kicked out of their homes, or they were ethni either ethnically cleansed out of their homes, sent to Gaza or the West Bank, or the diaspora, or they were killed, right? Or they were imprisoned. So that's what happened in 1948. This is where, where people came in, um, and the Israelis came in, and basically they wanted to come uh, establish their state. And one specific massacre kind of catalyzed everything else. Does anyone know the name of the massacre? Deir Yassin. So Deir Yassin happened in April, I believe 9, um, 1948, which was about a month and a couple of days before the Nakba. And this massacre happened where... Um, at the time, I believe 120 villagers were killed. But I want to keep in mind that we're not talking about modern-day numbers. We're talking about smaller numbers. So this is a significant percentage of the people that were living in the village. They were killed, and everyone was ethnically cleansed. And they did it in a way to scare everybody else into leaving. So we actually did a documentary at PAC where we talked to community members who their parents or their grandparents or they themselves lived through the Nakba, and every single one of them mentioned Deir Yassin. 
Because for them, Deir Yassin was like the harrowing tale that they knew they were going to be next. Because there was nothing that they left out of Deir Yassin. Their stories, um, and I highly recommend you check out the documentary. It's on our YouTube page. Um, and maybe one day we can actually host it here so everyone can see it. But there's stories of um, one person, his name is uh, Dr. Dawood Asad, Asad, and he lived, um, he lived through the Nakba, and he was saying that they would, they would shoot the pregnant woman. Um, he said that one of, he had a baker and his son, they threw them in the oven. Um, he said that he himself, he watched his grandma in front of her eyes get shot until the point where she was twirling from how many times she got shot. Um, his little brother actually was killed. His mom had to leave him because the, doc, the, the army said, if you go pick them up, we will shoot you too. And he said his mother never recovered. So I highly recommend you guys to check out our documentary and any resources on the Nakba to better understand the, the trauma that was put on the Palestinian people on this day. And that's why it's called the, the catastrophe, because it truly was catastrophic. Um, the video's not working. So... Now we're going to this map. And this map, um, I want you to know, I did this presentation at Fairleigh Dickinson University, and um, someone um, from the, the president, the, the chaplain of the Hilal group, and a professor came, and the one thing he said was a lie was this map, which makes sense because this is basically shows, right, the reality of what's happening with Palestine. Um, and so in 1917, like we talked about, there was the British mandate. At this time, all of this was known as historic Palestine. Something important to mention, too, because you'll hear this a lot, where people say, oh, but Palestine never even existed in the first place. It was all called Bilad al-Sham, and actually, through the Sykes-Picot Agreement, um, they came and they literally drew random lines together and created these different spaces. But that didn't mean this was not Palestine. It just meant the general area was Palestine, the general area was Syria, Lebanon, Jordan all these different areas, but they did exist. They just were not maybe these exact borders because Sykes-Picot came and they drew these borders. So this is what's happening in 1917. Then in 1948, based on the, British, um, based on the UN uh, uh, proclamation of Israel, the partition plan, this is what happened, where we had Gaza and then we had the West Bank. Gaza, Gaza, borders, with, Gaza borders with Egypt and the West Bank borders with Jordan. And one of the conditions, because sometimes people also say this, well, if Israel's so bad, they have Palestinians, or the, what they call them, Arab Israelis. Why do they have Arab Israelis? Does anyone know? Why did that exist in the first place? Was it because Israel was so kind and generous and they made their citizens Israeli? Yes. They are the ones who stayed, but also the UN said, we will only recognize the state of Israel if you give citizenship to all of the people on your land at the time. And the people who stayed are still there, right? And they actually call themselves al-baqoon, right? Which means the people who stayed from the word baqiyah, like they stayed back. And so keep in mind that what we said, in 1948, 70% of the Palestinian population that were here were kicked out. And just so you know, right now, the numbers that have been killed exceed the numbers of people that were killed then, in 1948. So in, in many ways, the catastrophe we're seeing now is, is we're getting worse than the catastrophe that was during the Nakba, right? So in the Nakba, they kicked out all these people. Some of them went to Gaza, some of them went to the West Bank, and some of them went to the diaspora. Now, what are some things that are important to note about this map? What are some things about Gaza and the West Bank that we notice? What is it? They're separated, right? You have one on this border and one on that border. Why do we think that's the case? Exactly. 
the oldest tale at time is what? Divide and conquer, right? If you have everybody in one place, can you ever really divide them, right? You know the story of the, thor- the, the cows or the, you know, that came together and then when you're separated? This is, this is a classic strategy, divide and conquer, right? Where they divided the Palestinians in Gaza and in West Bank. So now there's two different realities that are happening. And slowly, over time, the people in West Bank can't go to Gaza. And the people in Gaza can't go to the West Bank. And the only way that people can get, go in and out is if they go through the other countries, right? So there's no connection between the two currently. So all of this is important to keep in mind. Now, there are a lot of other historical events, but honestly, like, Palestinian history needs an entire course, so I'm going flash forward through a lot of it. After 1948, you'll hear this a lot in the media now. They say, oh, there was a war, and they lost it. So what happened after 1948 was um, the Arabs came together and they said, wait a minute, we're not okay with this. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna try to take it back. And they lost, right? And it didn't work out. Then we continue on to the next big thing in 1967. What happened in 1967? The Nexa. What, ne- what, what happened in Nexa? Because of what happened historically. The Six-Day War. There was a Six-Day War against Israel, where they were like, again, we want to take back our land. Enough is enough. You guys took a lot of our land. We want to take it back. And in six days, Israel was able to end, take over. They all lost. And what happened now? What happened to the West Bank and Gaza? They were under occupation. So I always like to make two points out of this. Number one, they were able to defeat, I believe, it was six countries in the Six-Day War, in six days. We're on day what right now? 50, 55, I think, or 56. Okay. This was in 1967, and they were able to beat six countries in six days. Why are we in 2023, and we're having difficulty, 55 days of trying to um, take over or, um, you know, defeat the terrorism in Gaza, right? And this is where we have to think about, again, is that really their goal? Or is their goal really to take over all of Palestine, right? And that's what we have to think about. We, and I always tell people, with the Palestinian struggle, if you acquire any critical thinking skills, you'll be able to solve and understand a lot of the Palestinian struggle. So in 1967, what happens is now both territories are not occupied. What does occupied mean? What is it? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So they're under a military occupation, which means a couple of things. And again, this is you can go into a full lecture about it, but I'm going to give you guys the really uh, s- s- simple version of it. We have now settlements are starting, which are a huge thing in itself, which basically means now Israel, that was known in this area, is now entering these areas and creating little cities or towns that are now Israeli basically only Israelis. Palestinians can no longer enter it. Also, what happens is um, the idea of military control. Now, if if something happens in the West Bank or Gaza versus happening in Israel, let's say somebody does any small offense. Technically, they're tried under military courts, right? Military court. So any crimes that happen are not civilian crimes, they're military crimes. Because who who are they facing? They're facing the Israeli occupation. So that's another thing that happens. The other thing is the the limiting of movement. You have checkpoints. 
You have that they take over the infrastructure, they take over the roads, and that's what they've been doing since 1967, slowly taking over different parts of the land. Now, this is also something we hear a lot. Now, this is what happens in 1967. We fast forward to to modern day. This is basically what's happening in modern day. Um, In 2005, sorry, in 2005, something happens. What happens in 2005 after the second intifada? So we have the first intifada happened, which was a peaceful resistance of Palestinians, um, and they were shot down, right, and they were destroyed. After the first um, intifada, the idea of the Oslo Accords came up, which epically failed, right? It, um, it failed, but the idea of the Oslo Accords was the Palestinians, and this is how I use the Oslo Accords now, Palestinians were willing to accept 22% of their land for peace. Because, you know, now they tell you, oh, Palestinians don't want peace, Right? Well, they signed the Oslo Accords, where they were willing to accept, even though it was very hard for them to accept, and they didn't want to accept, they were willing to accept 22% of the land with this idea of peace and with this idea of two states. And yet, what happened? The Palestinians kept their end of the bargain, but what did Israel do after 1993? Did they stop the settlements? No. They continued to increase the settlements. They continued to increase military occupation and military law. And they never were able to, they never kept any part of their bargain up. And so what happened was the Palestinians kept part of their bargain up, and the Israelis continued to not hold any part of their bargain up. And the goal was in 1998, we would have a free state. And did that happen? We're in 2023 and we're still dreaming, right? So this idea is that the first intifada happened as a response to this. Then we fast forward to the second intifada, which the second intifada at this point, when they realized that in 1998, we didn't get our free state, this is really problematic. It was a call of arms. Basically, it was an armed resistance intifada where they were like, enough is enough. We want our land back. We tried to do the peace. It didn't work, right? At the end of 2005, in an attempt to basically, with the end of the second intifada, um, they built up the parts. There's a couple of things that happened. One of it is that they pulled out of Gaza. So what does pulled out of Gaza mean? Because you hear this a lot, especially in the media. What is, yes. So it wasn't under military occupation. This is where. So they did pull out. So they pulled out. The settlements were pulled out. The checkpoints were pulled out. Everything was pulled out. But what did they do instead? They surrounded it. They surrounded it. Nothing was allowed in or out of Gaza on any fronts without the permission of Israel, whether it be through the water, whether it be through the land, whether it be through this entry. So now suddenly they were living a new occupation, which is a blockade and siege. And to the point where the UN said that by 2020, Gaza would be unlivable, right? So Gaza would be unlivable and under the conditions that they were living in. And not only that, they also had 2.2 million people living at a 25 by, by about like 4.5 mile wide radius, okay? This is the length of it, because sometimes I'm like trying to understand. The length of it is Newark. So if you just try from the start of Newark to the end of Newark, that's the length of it. The width of it is if you're going from Pack to City Hall in Patterson. That is the width. Okay, so we're not talking about a huge country that's scary that we don't know. That is the length and that is the width. So you're trapping 2.2 million people in this area. And then what did they start doing also in 2005? What did they start building? The partition wall, which we call the apartheid wall. But they started building the partition wall. And that's where this picture starts, right? 
where even in the partition wall, when they were talking about the West Bank, they didn't just take, okay, this is what we agreed on, these are your borders, these are our borders. They already started drawing in the line, right? So they already started taking more land than they needed to take. Um, and, and so, as you see, what happens in these pictures, slowly, the yellow continues to decrease. The yellow decreases because Israel control continues to increase in the West Bank through the settlements um, and, and through the settlements and the increase, increasement of the settlements. So one of the things I, I say is I went there this past summer, and because of they had an Israel, I have a Palestinian citizenship and a Palestinian Hawiya, and this past summer I was able um, to, to, because of the Israel-America waiver program, I was able to fly in through Tel Aviv, and I was actually able to visit a lot of historic Palestine, which is the first time since I was a kid. So it was very special for me, but it was terrifying because my husband's family is from Safad, which is in the north, up here, and my mom's family is from the Ram, which is about like right here. We drove on one highway from Safad to the Ram, one highway. And because we had a yellow, yellow license plate, which is the Israeli license plate, we were able to drive on only Israeli roads. So there's some roads that are Israeli or settler roads that Palestinians are not, like, are technically illegal to drive on, um, but some get, you know, some do it anyway, but it's, it's technically you get in trouble for driving on it. So what is the idea of driving from Safa to here? On Safa to Ram, we did it one shot, and we went on settler, mainly settler-only roads. What's the idea behind that? What is it? It's faster, but it's also that it shows that they're building the infrastructure to take it all. That is their goal. Netanyahu has said it several times. He says, I don't believe in a two-state. All of this is ours. When they draw Palestine, they draw this entire thing, right? So this gives us a lot of the context of what's happening now. So when Palestinians are upset, yes, a huge part of it is the fact that we're almost at 20,000 people killed and half of them children, but also a part of it is that this is just continuing, right? And soon, in the future, we're going to see a 2023 map, and we're going to see how that looks, right? And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect the people of Gaza and the land of Gaza, but the idea is that it's going to continue to increase, right? And they're going to continue to take over the control of the land, which is exactly why the north to south evacuation was such a big deal, and people called it a second Nakba. Do we understand now the connection a little bit more? I'm sure you guys already got it before, but hopefully now it clicks a little more. Right? So this is basically what's happening. And that's why, for example, a lot of the people in Gaza, when we speak to them on the ground, they said, even if we get killed, we're not leaving. Because what happened when they left in 1948? Were they able, able to go back? No. And so when they're telling them to go to the north and south, right now, even in, this, in the, the, I think it was six-day truce, they were not, no one from the south was allowed to go back to the north. No one. And if they did, they got shot. So why is that happening? Right? If they're only trying to catch Hamas. And that's really the issue. So like I said, Palestinian history just needs some critical thinking skills. Now, it's back to this idea that Palestine is an indigenous justice issue. It's about displacement and erasure, right? It's about this idea that the goal of the Zionist project is to make the yellow as small as possible. Which, by the way, if you're wondering why this yellow is a little bit bigger, it's not actually bigger. It's just this was Trump's plan of trying to make peace. Uh, the reality is that it's still the same. It's just it's a little smaller here. But the goal, like one of the proposition of his plan, for example, was to separate all the different areas. So that way, if you're traveling from one place to the other, it feels like you're going to a different state. So it's, again, what is it? We're going back to here. Let's separate, divide, and conquer, right? 
Okay, so another video. Okay, I think we can see this video without. Um, okay, now apartheid. Now this is really important. So a lot of you hear the word apartheid. Where does the word apartheid come from? South Africa. What does the apartheid mean? Where you have two groups of people that are governed under two different laws and two different realities, right? So now we're going to, this doesn't need sound. We're just going to get to know our friends here, which this, by the way, is a really good um, resource. It's called Visualizing Palestine. They have a lot of very good resources if you ever want something like visual to understand what's happening here. So we're going to take these two people. We have Hannah and Leila. Now we have Jewish American born in the U.S. Can I visit Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories? Hannah, yes. You can visit Israel and most of the West Bank, and you'll find programs that may help fund your trip, like the birth rate trip. While Leila, no. You are barred from entry to Israel, the West Bank, and Gaza. Like myself, I was born and raised in America, but because I have a Hawiya, up until this last summer, and I'm sure the rule is back in place now, I wasn't allowed to go to visit Jerusalem. I wasn't allowed to go to the Quds. I wasn't allowed to go to anywhere in modern-day Israel. Now, the other example is... I should have let it keep playing. So can I move there? Now, this is also that's something that's really important. So in, um, for Israel, as long as your great-grandmother is Jewish and you can prove it, you get Israeli citizenship. You get Israeli citizenship. Your kids get Israeli citizenship. It's like giving it Israeli citizenship for everybody. Now, the flip side. Now, if you're Palestinian, right, there's so many different restrictions to be able to pass on even the Palestinian citizenship, right? So as a Palestinian refugee, you're barred from returning and denied residency rights in your land, even if you have family there. So, for example, like my husband, his family's kicked out of Safad. There, he can't get Palestinian citizenship. Right now, through me, there's a potential that he can, but it's no guarantee. And it's a Palestinian citizenship, not an Israeli citizenship. So there's no way that he can go back to living in Safad. He can go back to potentially living in the West Bank. So, and this is, I was talking to some people, for example, that even the, the Palestinians, Al-Baqun, that stayed in, um, in, in uh, Israel, what are some of the realities is that, for example, she told me if her, if she gives birth in Israel, she can pass on her, um, the passport to her child. But if she decides to give birth anywhere else, they automatically, the passport doesn't get passed on to her child. And this only applies for Palestinians. So it's a lot of different ways of limiting people's access to the land. So can I become an Israeli citizen? Like we said, Hannah, yes. And the 1952 citizenship law and, um, entitles you to automatic citizenship even if you've never set foot in Israel before. While Leila, no, you're um, ineligible if your family became refugees between 1947 and 1949, even if you had lived there generations before. There's a lot of other examples, which I'm not going to get into, but um, one of them actually, and we can quickly say this, what's the difference between a settlement and... Um, and the Palestinians living in the West Bank. So what also happened in 1967? This is actually an important point that I forgot to mention. So what also happened in 1967? And I know we're almost at time, so I'm actually going to end this. But what's, what also happened in 1967? What did Israel take over? The Quds, they also took over all the resources. So in 1967, they literally sucked all the water. They sucked and they took control of all of the resources. The water, the electricity, the fuel, everything now became Israeli-run, both in Gaza and in, um, in the West Bank. That's why, for, and then, what, so now, what's the difference between a settlement and a house in the West Bank? 
there's one, every time I go, I tell people, look, and what do you see? What's the difference? The water. There's water tanks on top of Palestinian homes while there's none in, in settler, uh, on any of the settlements. Why? Because settlements have access to all the water that they need because they took all the Palestinian water, while on the flip side, Palestinians have their um, buckets of water that hold them out because they usually get water once or twice a week. So for example, for example in Gaza, like a lot of people were like, oh, the water was cut off, but they still had water. It was because they had their buckets, because they're used to this. It's not anything new. And that's why when they were able to cut off the fuel and the electricity and the water, it happens because they have control of all of it anyway, right? So these are all things to think about. Now, the apartheid continued. So not only is it that they have limitations in terms of different laws, in terms of different realities, um, but they also, even their roads are segregated. So remember how I told you that I got, I got from Safad to Ram in one shot? It's because I was traveling on, well, now this map has been updated because they've unfortunately built a lot more roads, but they've accessible to only Israelis. So they traveled on, on roads that are yellow that kind of go through the entire West Bank now. They're accessible only to Israelis or people who have Israeli license because there's two different licenses. They have the white and green, which is for Palestine, and the yellow and black, which is for Israelis. So now you also have this different systems where there's roads that are um, dedicated just to Israelis. There's roads that are dedicated to both. And then there's, um, and then they control basically everything. So even like I say this a lot, like I, I'm, my, my dad's family's from a small village named Mechmas. One time, we were literally going from Hamas to the Ram, which back in the day used to be like a five-minute walk. Now it's at least like a 10-minute drive because of the roads and all the turnabouts that they did. We left the village. We were on the main street. We were stopped by Israeli police. They were looking at him like, what are you, what, what are you doing? We're just in Hamas. They're like, oh, now you're on an Israeli road. And we're in the middle of the West Bank. So we're not talking about, you know, not talking about modern-day Israel. We're talking about the, in the middle of the West Bank because now they consider that an Israeli road. And you have to then, you're going to, deal with the Israeli system, the Israeli court system, and the Israeli rules. So I'm trying to see, because I know time's up. Actually, time's up. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it for questions, right, because I think it's nine. Okay, so leave it for questions. I have a part two. I know we didn't get a lot into Gaza. I'm um, sorry, these videos are playing. But the idea is that this has done history. So we were going to get into Gaza. But the idea right now is basically a lot of people say right now, oh, we're only doing this to Gaza because Hamas is there, right? Like, it's, it's there. That's why we're doing this. But the number one easiest um, retort you can give them is, what about the West Bank, right? And now you were able to give a lot of the things that happened in the West Bank and understand a little bit more about some of the stuff that happened in the West Bank, plus the history to show that this is not only about Hamas, right? This isn't only about what's happening there. It goes beyond that. It goes around the idea of Zionism. It goes around the idea of land erasure, ethnically cleansing people, a genocide, and military control on the occupation. So I hope everyone has a little bit of a better historical context of everything. Um, and inshallah, maybe I can be invited for part two, where we can go a little bit more in depth into Gaza. But does anyone have any questions, comments, concerns, anything that we talked about thus far? Oh, let me check the app. See people texted. No one texted. Have anyone have anything they'd like to, any thoughts, anything, any questions? Or did everyone know already what I was saying? Well, thanks. I want to be a teacher in another world, maybe, inshallah.
Thanks. Absolutely. And it's something really important to also mention that there's refugee camps within Palestine. So the people that were kicked out in 1948, even the people in Gaza, you know, one of the places that were bombed and it was a very big deal was a refugee camp. And what are these, what is it? Exactly. 70% of the people of Gaza were refugees that were kicked out internally from what is modern day Israel. 70% of them were kicked out and were put into Gaza, were either in refugee camps or made their life there, and now they've been internally displaced two, three, four times. And already we're at the point, I think 1.5 million people no longer have a home. And I think that's something, something very important to watch. I don't know if everyone follows Bisan um, on Instagram, but she said something that honestly I have, I watched the video a couple days ago and I haven't been able to get it out of my mind, that she said even if we get to a point of a permanent ceasefire, we're not talking about rebuilding. She's like, we're talking about everything was destroyed. She's like, everything was destroyed. She's like, where things were, where my store was, where things, I, everything was destroyed. So if we get to the point of rebuilding, it's not rebuilding, it's recreating. Recreating, exactly. Recreating an entire reality, right? So let's put ourselves into that shoes and understand again, what is happening, right? This isn't about what they're saying it is. It's a bigger plan of continuing to ethnically cleanse the Palestinian people and take over the land and continue this Zionist project. Any other questions? Yes. Sorry, I saw half a hand up and I went for it. <laughs> so honestly, I don't know, but I want to go back to it doesn't matter, right? Because the, some of, one of the arguments that you'll always hear from the other side is, well, 3,000 years ago, this used to be our home, right? Now, the reality is, regardless of that, we're not, and we could go back, right? We could go back 3,000 years, and when I was a kid, that was the history. We started in, like, way before, and then we went modern day. But right now, we're living in the 21st century. There have been people living there for the last 100 years, right? Let's just, let's take their thing. And now they're being ethnically cleansed and kicked out and made homeless and stateless. That is enough. We don't need to go back 1,000 years. We don't. Like, it, you, we could, and we can definitely do that, and we can sit down and argue on it, but we don't. And that's, I think, a huge part of it is that a lot of the people who are living in Israel or that have the Zionist agenda will come tell you, well, this is our historic homeland. But who has the historic entitlement to something? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the thing is, honestly, it's happened till today. You'll go anywhere, and they say, oh, man, the reason why we did that is because if you look underneath, our history was there. And it continues the same way. Why are they bombing the hospitals? You don't understand. There's control centers underneath. There's no, no, there's, so there's always an excuse. There's always a reason, right? But the reality is the reasoning can't take away what's happening from the ground. 
Because they do. That's one of the reasons why, for example, they say Al-Quds. Why do they want to take the Quds? Because they say under Al-Aqsa, there's a hole, the Haikal for Sulaiman. Right? That's what they say. Historically, they say, oh, the Haikal is there. So we have to destroy the Aqsa and the Quds because we have to go with what's underneath. Right? That's what they say. But the reality is it doesn't take away. It goes back to what's happening now. Does, the justif does their justification of what's happening now, is it right? Does it justify what's happening? No. So we could do this argument for thousands of years. Everything that's been happening for thousands of years, there's no justification to it. Right? No. Yeah, and this is, if you, like, for example, the kids that were shot in Janine. Did they say we killed the kids that were shot in Janine? No, they came up with an excuse. Oh, they did something, and that's why we shot them. Half of the prisoners that are out, because this is actually something important to talk about. Does anyone know what administrative detention is? Indefinitely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I always say this, our, our sheikh himself was originally under administrative detention. This idea is basically there's a magical file that exists somewhere that has some magical evidence that we can't share with you because this can threaten our, our case and our reality, but we're never going to tell you why you go to jail. So there's people that go to jail, they literally pick them up from their homes, and they take them, and there's no reasoning why they take them, and they never give their family reasoning, so they can never hire any lawyers or anyone to defeat it because how can you make an argument when you don't even know the reason you were in jail in the first place, Right? So 150 people were released, 89 of those were under administrative detention. Which means basically, like Amma said, every six months you can, they can renew your administrative detention. Every six months. And they can do this indefinitely. So you can end up in jail for years under administrative detention. And when you ask, why was I in jail? Sorry, it's administrative detention, so we can't disclose this to you. And this is actually illegal under international law. You're not allowed to do this. Anytime you're in prison, anyone under occupation, there needs to be a cause, um, like an evidence, a jury, a, and put in front of a judge, an explanation. You have a right to defend it. None of that exists when you're, when you're jailed under administrative detention. Yeah. Absolutely. Agreed, but you also have to keep in mind the concept of occupation, right? So part of the 1993 Oslo Accords was the creation of the Palestinian Authority, right? And then slowly became where Abbas took over the Palestinian Authority, right? Regardless of that, I completely disagree and don't like anything about how things are being handled now. But this was a product of the occupation. So if you really want to get to the root cause, the root cause is the occupation. 
And who's the one who's causing the occupation? Israel. So I agree with you that this is something that needs to be dealt with and definitely needs to be um, completely transformed and changed, right? But in order to do that, we need to first handle right now as a united front, at least right now when we're in this place of crisis, handle the root cause, which is Israel. Israel is the root cause. All of this that's existing is, doesn't exist on its own. It's not existing in a vacuum, right? Palestinians, and this is actually a fun fact that I learn all the time. Palestinians before 1948, um, I actually heard this. Has anyone watched Tagrib al-Falestiniya? Okay, I highly recommend you all to watch it. It's a very good historical show. Um, but I was talking to somebody once when I was in Al-Quds, and I told him, I love Tagrib al-Falestiniya. And he said, you know, Tagrib al-Falestiniya did a huge disservice to the Palestinian people. And I looked, I'm shocked. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's how I learned my history of the Palestinian people. I love Tagrib al-Falestiniya. And he said, the biggest disservice is because Tagrib al-Falestiniya showed that Palestinians were basically living in tents and helpless before Israel came and modernized everything. And he said, that's not true. Right? Palestinians had, right now, Israel took over the railroad system. That system didn't start in 1948. That predated 1948. That existed before 1948. They had bus systems. Women were in power. They had a very successful um, orange uh, trade company. Yaffa was one of the main ports in Palestine. Right? So this is the reality that we had. Palestinians were flourishing. Palestine was an amazing place. And what changed was the occupation. And everything else came afterwards, which I agree with you, needs to be dealt with, and it's horrible effects of the occupation and things that definitely are not going to get us closer to freedom. But I think right now, in the time that we're at, we need to focus on the occupation because the occupation is the source of everything. If the occupation goes away, then the Palestinians can act freely and set up their government and, free and freely elect who they want, which, again, this doesn't take away from the current, current criticisms we have of what's happening right now. I agree with you 100%. Everything needs to be transformed. The way we are are not getting us closer to liberation. But I think what's dangerous that happens in our communities is that we don't really talk about the root cause. The same way we're challenging the world to talk about the root cause, we need to also challenge ourselves to talk about the root cause. And the root cause to everything that's happening in Palestine is the occupation. And then even when you look at it, right, and this is also something I talked about. Like I was reflecting on this other day, and I was like, Ya Allah, why aren't the Arab countries doing anything? Why are we on our own? Unfortunately, due to the modern-day history, each of the Arab countries have have basically fallen, each of them. Go to anyone. Call me any country and we can go through it. And this is because, again, and I think this is where we have to work on ourselves, is that there has been a long plan, a long-term plan that's been happening, and we have been the, um, the pawns in other people's hands because we think short-term. Okay, this is what we have to do. This is our struggle. This is our struggle. Well, there's been a long-term plan. It's no coincidence that now we're in 2023 and every single one of the Arab countries are either in turmoil or don't have control. It's because we need to change our way we focus. Instead of focusing on the short-term goal, focus on the long-term goal. And instead of being pawns, be the people who are playing the pawns. And be the people who are creating the change and being the bigger players. And back to the first slide. So we're going to go back to the first slide. Because I know it's hard to imagine that world. But we can get to that world. Because if we take out that fence and we take out those boxes and we imagine a world of liberation, we can get there. And I think we definitely, inshallah, inshallah, can. Does that make sense? I do. I believe it. I believe it in my heart because I'll tell you why. Sometimes I lose hope, but I go to Palestine and I ask them, do you think Pope? And they look at me like, why are you even talking? There's not going to be freedom. And they live through this every day. They look at me like, of course there's going to be freedom. God promised it. And so their strength brings me strength. And also, just to end with a positive note, someone once told me, they said, believing that Palestine is not going to, no, not believing that Palestine will be free is actually su'idhan billah. Right? So you're not believing that God can do it. And we have to believe that God can do it because God promised it. 
So right now it may seem impossible, but every struggle in the world seemed impossible at one point. But we're going to get to that point. And our goal is what Amos said is it actually is to start with ourselves. So another mentor of me told me the day Palestine will be free is when every single Palestinian, every single Arab, every single Muslim wakes up and thinks, how can I make sure that there's going to be freedom in our future? When every one of us starts to internalize that, that's when we'll see a free Palestine, including the leadership from up to down. <laughs> they put us down. We're lesser than. We've internalized that because of Orientalism. And I told you, this is like, we can sit down for a long time talking about this. Mm -hmm. Normalization deals. Why is that happening? Why now are the, the countries that are most in power, a few years ago, they were the least in power. And the ones that were most in power, like Iraq, Syria, now they're? Exactly. It's again, there's games, bigger games being at play, and we've been pawns for too long. We need to switch the game. Desmond, do you have something? Oh, actions. Okay, so some actions that you can take, and then I think I'm really over time. Um, so actions, oh, my phone died. Okay, so actions that you can take is a pack has a toolkit um, where you can, uh, we have a couple of actions you can take. Um, Desmond, do you know the number? Do you want to tell everyone? So we have a number that you can text the words free Palestine to, and now I think it gives you five actions where you can take. So one of them is keep calling your congresspeople, keep calling your senators. There's been a decrease of that in the last um, few days slash week, and they've noticed it. They're like, what's happening? Why, are, why has there been a decrease? And I want you all to know they said this, um, you know, in 2020, they said, a lot of people were saying, oh, why are we worried about the 2024 elections? Ma, the Arab are going to forget, the Palestinians are going to forget, the Muslim communities are going to forget. And we have to remember that we can't forget, because back to what we're saying, we're in it for the long run. We're in it for the long-term game. We're not going to be reactionary. Something's happening, we're going to respond. So everyone's homework assignment is as much as possible. Call your representatives, call your congresspeople, sign petitions, go to protests, speak up, have these educational events. Pack also in our toolkit, oh, I can actually bring it up here. So our toolkit guide, um, we have a list of resources that you could go to and you could read, including books, podcasts, um, videos, movies. What is it? Oh, okay. So it's packusa.org slash toolkit. Oh, it was on my hotspot and my phone died. Okay. <laughs> so it's packusa.org slash toolkit. So if you go there, you'll see a bunch of different resources. And then, Fesna, do you want to give everyone the number? Okay. So the number is 833-648-0398. Um, Once again, it's 833-648-0391. If you text free Palestine to that, you'll get five different action items. And I want to challenge you all to do them daily. Not weekly, daily. And there is also a group um, that if you'd like, and maybe I'll send it because I know there's a WhatsApp group. So maybe we'll send it. There's daily reminders to call your congresspeople. And you literally check, did I call or did I not call? And we want to make sure that our numbers in New Jersey are high because we have one of the largest Muslim, Palestinian, and Arab um, populations in the whole country. So there's no reason that we're not leading the board in terms of the calls that are happening there. And obviously continue to boycott. BDS is very important and very powerful because a lot of this is due to people making money. And so putting boycott makes pressure on them. Um, continue to donate. I know there's a lot of different ways of donating your time and your money um, in order to help the cause. Uh, and continue to educate yourself. Honestly, that's the most important thing because if everyone walks out as a steward and as an ambassador for the Palestinian struggle and really, really learns it and internalizes it, 
this is, this is when we're going to reach liberation. And remember that this is not only for Palestine. This is a struggle for the entire world. Because what's happening in Palestine can show that this can happen to anyone. Right? And Palestinian freedom means liberation for everyone. Inshallah. So with that, Thank you all.